Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce joined by uh, the very busy Christy Doran who's flown back from Melbourne late last night uh, after taking in the joys, the sights, the sounds of the second Super Round. Christy, um, I guess now you've had a bit of time to digest it all. Uh, how was the weekend? Busy. Lots of press conferences. You don't often have to speak to 12 captains and 12 coaches and uh, but a lot of fun and great to have everyone there. I actually like the concept. I think it's a good concept. I think it's a great idea to get people involved. Whether or not Melbourne's the right place, I don't think it is. I think it's, I think it's great that it's been there, but it's time to move on from Melbourne. And Brisbane's a great shout. Auckland would be good fun. Uh, potentially Wellington. Uh, I think it's an opportunity to to really think about what you're trying to achieve out of it uh, because. The crowds, I think it was about 36,000 across the three days. It's, it's just not enough, really. If you have a couple of blockbuster games, you might get that on one day in Brisbane or even at Eden Park. So I think time to move on, but uh, it was an entertaining weekend. And I think each day you actually had a great game, which was really important too. Yeah, we might circle back to the concept itself a bit later and, and perhaps um, give up some ideas of where it could head. But there was clearly one big talking point from the weekend, Christy, uh, it happened on Friday night. Um, probably have to be living under a rock uh, to have not read or seen something about it. Uh, if you're a rugby fan, of was, of course, Artie Sevilla's throat-slitting gesture just before halftime in the Hurricanes win over the Rebels, which actually turned out to be a really thrilling and quality trans-Tasman encounter, the kind of we need more of in this competition for it to really grow and develop and, and be a success in the, the coming years. But um Look, I, I can't remember seeing anything like it on a rugby field for some time. I, I don't know that I sit in the absolute outrage camp. Clearly, it's not something we want to be showing our kids, or at least the image we want our, our you know, our superstars of the game portraying when they are playing. I thought it was um, obviously it wasn't what he was yellow carded for originally either. We must remember that that was more of the the body slam suplex WWE style move on Carter Gordon, whatever you want to call it. That's why he was marched to begin with. But, um, geez, it all kicked off from there. Yeah, it certainly didn't on the stroke of halftime. And, and at that point in time, you thought the Hurricanes are flexing their muscle, aren't they? And and the, the Rebels had opportunities, just didn't take them. They scored early and then they had another opportunity, didn't manage to capitalise on it. And it just seemed like a bit of the same old story for the Rebels. Get themselves in a position, don't go on with it. But... Yeah, Dane Coles is, you know, the, the bloke that's often in those sorts of situations. And I thought he should have been yellow-carded. He he put his throat around the, the neck of uh, the Rebels' second rower. And it's kind of inexcusable whenever you do that. You look at why that started off, and it started because of that. And I thought Artie deserved his yellow, and I would have upgraded it to a red card after what we saw. Look, I agree with you. I'm not completely fussed by it. Was he going to actually kill the bloke uh, as as uh, Reese Hodge potentially mentioned when he when he complained to the referee no and but I don't think anyone does but that's beside the point we, we don't want children school kids doing anything remotely similar at a, at a game on a Saturday morning or if it's a uh, a kickoff throughout the week those sorts of things when you're a national hero, the best player in New Zealand, probably the best player in world rugby in the last three years, doing something like that just gives off a terrible image. And yes, Artie Savea apologised, but 
every single player in rugby apologises after something goes wrong. A reckless tackle, uh, a blown try, uh, whatever it might be. People apologise when they stuff up, and we saw that. Oh, look, I think two weeks would be harsh, but I think it would set a precedent. And I, I thought it was unsportsmanlike. I still think that, that we can't stand for that. That's not what rugby is. I would give him two weeks. And I think it would be a strong, strong statement to go, you know what? We don't care who you are. There shouldn't be a single player that ever does that on a rugby field. Despite the fact that it made for the event, it, it made the event. And the Rebels came out a, a completely different side after that point in time. But you shouldn't stand for it nonetheless. Yeah, it's a fair point. And we'll just come back to that last little bit there, Christy, uh, in a moment. But I agree with you. Dane Coles, I mean, he he's the serial offender. And um, if you actually watch the ensuing more when the, the Rebels kicked to the corner after that and they got driven into touch, he comes in again and absolutely wallops a Rebels forward in the side of the head with a bit of a, a classic AFL hip and shoulder, which, you know, I thought was was far worse than whatever Sophia had done, Sophia rather, had done earlier. And, um, you know, he's, he's just an igly type and he's been doing that for years. And it makes me think back to the, the 2017 Brisbane and Brisbane Bledisloe when I got a, a very dry uh, straight reply from Steve Hansen asking about the niggle out there and was was told have you got rose colored glasses on mate um so uh, a shout out to shag um but um yeah look I, I agree it's it's clearly not the image I I, I do wonder and I pondered this today on on ESPN actually after talking with my old man about it last night around whether you know this is a bit this is one better where Sevilla feels this one in the hip pocket, a bit like the rugby league, the NRL scenario these days where guys can, um, after I think a certain number of offences, opt to take it uh, a fine instead and, and cop it in the the hip pocket. Um, and then I would also, you know, give a, a bit of a add-on to that sanction as well by, okay, Artie, you've got two weeks of after-school rugby trainings or club trainings to go down on your nights off, to go down and do a bit of coaching, um, hold up some tackle bags, uh, and really have that grassroots tangible um, sanction element to it as well than perhaps the the two match ban. But um, it, it, it is a it's a it's a worthwhile debate, and 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 in absolutely no way should he get off scot free. I'm not saying that at all, but I, I think there's probably some some perhaps unique ways we can look at this as well. And I'd love that. That that's a great suggestion. If you could do that, and you could see it, and it. You should never do things for media coverage, but if people see their heroes out there doing these things, it's it's what Eddie Jones does brilliantly. You know, he gets sacked from England. What's he doing the next day? He's out there coaching the under-11s uh, club side in London. One thing that everyone can appreciate is when the absolute elite get back to grassroots, and I think that's a really, really positive suggestion. I don't know if they would entertain it, <laughs> But it's it's a good one, and sometimes you've got to think outside the square. And uh, at the very least, a, a huge fine. But if it's not going to do anything with grassroots rugby, I, I think a fine and a suspension, uh, because I just don't think rugby can um, can stand for those sorts of values. You know, rugby likes to talk a big game regarding its values, and now's an opportunity to go. Yeah, no, we, we we don't appreciate that. We don't stand for that. And I think the Melbourne faithful did recognize that what he did was wrong despite the fact that it added very much to the theater but he was colossal 
he is such a good player. And despite the fact that he has hands on the on the ground, like half the other players from the Hurricanes at every second rack, he's just brilliant around the rack. Um, he's ball carrying, the amount of tackle bust, the leg drive. He's everything that you want in a player. And if you had 15 Artie Savitas on the field, I'm not sure if there would be a better team out there in the world. Yeah, I think you're referring to that late turnover uh, down uh, on the right touchline where uh, he made a tackle. Questionable whether there was a uh, complete release and then uh, at least two Rebels forwards there and the ball somehow came back magically with a, a right hand of Artie's and it was play on. But um, you're right. After that incident, that game came alive and and I think it a big tick for for Super Round. Um, you know, there was the two Trans-Tasman games over the weekend and um, this one, I don't think too many people saw the Rebels getting within striking distance of the Hurricanes, but they really aimed up from there. They got praised both from Sevilla and Hurricanes uh, coach Jason Holland around their physicality that they brought to the contest, which is not something we usually, you know, associate with the Rebels. But, I mean, guys like Pono came off the bench, didn't they? Um, Richard Hardwick had a, a brilliant game scoring those two late tries. Uh, Josh Canham, another one. It really, the incident kind of lit a fire underneath them. And looking at it from the side of things that, that we do, mate, when we're, we're talking about how Super Rugby Pacific is still trying to get a bit of a foothold back in the market from the glory days of, of Super Rugby. And it doesn't typically have these, these talking points, which drive media narrative and, and really those water cooler moments between your, your Kiwi mates or whoever they might be, they get your WhatsApp groups going. Um, they don't have too many of these. And it's a kind of incident as much as, you know, we can sit back and, and have a laugh at, at Buzz Rothfield and Paul Kent on NRL 360 sometimes, making absolutely zero sense on a topic for which they are supposed to be uh, debating. But this is the exact kind of thing that they would go off at each other and it would make news all over the place. So in a weird kind of way, again, I'm not excusing what Artie has done, but I don't think it's entirely negative that this has happened for, for Super Rugby. No, no, not at all. Not at all. and. And, you know, the apology was, was I don't know if it was completely sincere, but it was good and it went viral and we do need headlines and we need figures and he's a personality within the game and he's a personality within the game because he's such a good player too and we can all appreciate that at the very least, but it was a great game. I think a couple of guys, and you pointed out Richard Hard was, was excellent. It was probably Pone Farmacilli's best game. He yep. had a shocker in that first round. He was very, very good. Joe Pincus, a really smart um, debut for Joe Pincus there in the in the fullback jersey. Uh, he missed the first game. He was a bit of a star in that final trial match against the Brumbies. He scored a couple of tries. It was pleasing to see him, pleasing to see um, uh, Anderson score, touchdown, Carter Gordon continued to grow through the game. I don't think it was perfect. There was another kick out in the full and sort of those sorts of things he's got to start to minimise in his game. But it was a massive step forward. The question is, can they back it up? Because they've got a really big test coming up against the Waratahs, which almost could kind of, it could set the narrative around both seasons for both the Tars and the Rebels. So we'll get back to that one later on. But it was a great way to open up Super Rugby at the very least. Agree, agree. Yeah, and uh, we should have a, uh, a resolution from on the severe front in the, the next couple of days. Um, I think was he fronting uh, the judiciary tonight, um, this afternoon, Kiwi time, uh, this evening. Um, 
So, yes, we won't wait long. Uh, there are a couple of other red cards from the weekend, which I think also. And, and yes, uh, one from that game that got upgraded, didn't it? It was the one of the, I think, the second incident of when with this new TMO process. And um, you have to say that it, it works quite well so far from what we've seen of it. Um, yellow goes up um, under review and then it came, uh, the decision came back to the on-field referee, uh, a few minutes later saying that that had been upgraded and, and that player was done for the match, but um, he could re- be replaced, whatever, I think it was about 12 or 13 minutes he had left on the on the then red card um, sanction. So, yeah, I think it's uh, it's been a great, well, certainly with the limited evidence we've had so far that it's definitely worth uh, pursuing with. Yeah, and the Jackson Pugh one was interesting. We were once again skipping ahead in the Western Force uh, game against the Queensland Reds. Look, it had not a very little bearing on the overall outcome, but I'm um, sorry, the Ollie Cowan, um, Ollie the, yep. the, the, the the back rower for the Force, who, right, um, in terms of tackling technique, wasn't right, but Filippo Downguna really kind of jumped into the tackle almost, and his body height very much elevated. Uh, and, and, and Cowan wasn't going forward he was I pretty much felt it was very low still. low force yeah yeah and he was told that it was a high force by the tmo and, and i do question whether or not the person who's making the decisions in T- tmos they're not necessarily the person out in the field they're judging it very much by the letter they don't necessarily judge it by the feel uh, i think that got wrong i thought i thought that was a yellow card um but yeah, so it will be interesting to see what happens because if it's a bigger player in a closer game when there's much more on the line, that'll be interesting to see the the lack of dialogue. Does that mean that there's too much uh, too much importance given to the TMO who's not out there? But we'll see. Yeah, watch this space moving forward. Clearly. Uh, all right. Um, obviously, earlier on, on Friday, Crusaders, big win. Uh, the Highlanders, geez, they look like they could be in for a long season. They've got some injury concerns already um, and, and probably about the toughest start of uh, of any team because I think they front up and they've got the Chiefs on Friday uh, who are also looking quite good. Um, they obviously charged out of the blocks against Moana Pacifica. Looked really good early doors. And when I say charged out of the blocks, it was a try after nine seconds. Um, so I assume you might, uh, lucky you know, that was the first game. So you would have been hopefully in your seat there at Amy Park in time, maybe uh, scoffing down half a pie or something, but um, they, they're not perfect, are they either? They, they've got some issues with discipline of their own. I think there was three yellow cards in that game, um, but certainly uh, Damian McKenzie at 10, um, you know, it looks like he is going to get this continued run there this season um, are looking quite sharp. Looking super sharp, aren't they? They've just got threats all across the park. And Hooker, you've got a, uh, a Tupo, um, the Tupo, the second rower, who's an, an all black. You've got yeah. you've got Sam Kane there, a pretty explosive back rower. Peter Gusser, sort of tour. Um, you've got Brad Weber. Uh, and, and, and then threats out wide as well. And they're just, you, you give them an inch and they're at the moment like the Blues, probably the most threatening sides in the competition. They're going to be right up there. They, they look like they're a top four side. They certainly could challenge for the top two. But when you've got guys like Brody Retallick in there, geez, it's it's an threatening, intimidating side. They took their chances. Uh, and, you know, the Chiefs haven't been really spoken about all that much over the last couple of years, have they? They're, you know, the coaching 
the coaching shuffles there with Warren Gatlin. Um, it seems like it's really, that's been quite a small talking point in the whole grand scheme of things over the last 24 months was Gatlin's return to Super Rugby, kind of just because he wasn't in the All Blacks consideration like all the other coaches. Uh, it's it's really flown, floated under, like, uh, under, under, under the carpet, really. But um, it's, they're, they're great. They're great to watch. They're a really exciting side. And you think about the fact that someone like a um, uh, Josh Iwani wasn't even in the site. It wasn't even in the 23. So, yeah, they, they, they will be right up there. And I expect them to be a semi-finalist. But the Highlanders, as you rightly pointed out, uh, they look like they'll struggle. Crusaders looking great. Um, and... And it's the same old story, really, isn't it? The New Zealand sides, they're so explosive at the ruck. Their physicality is immense and threats out wide. Yeah, a few bold Aussie punters starting to suggest that perhaps New Zealand doesn't have the talent to sustain five professional franchises. Uh, I'm not there yet. I think we'll wait till there's a few more uh, trans-Tasman contests and perhaps some Aussie franchises have faced the Highlanders as well. But um, yes, they're they're looking like they're going to do it tough. Sean Sean Stevenson, also very good for the Chiefs so far this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's the forward pack for the Highlanders, isn't it? And I, and I, I don't know if shuffling at the 10, Freddie Burns coming in there one week for Mitch Hunt. I'm not sure if that's the right option, if just to bring in a bloke who doesn't really, hasn't played super rugby, isn't there with the combinations yet. I, I didn't think that it was the right move, but it's just their forward pack. And, and that's the, the tough one. If you don't win up front in super rugby, it's hard to beat the best sides. And we saw that, uh probably I think the most glaring example of that is the Reds. The Reds a week ago against the Hurricanes were absolutely blown away because they couldn't keep up with the Hurricanes as forward pack. A week later, a very similar forward pack really to the force. And because of their back line, they managed to absolutely smoke the Western force. And, and they smoked them because of their, their red hot backs. So I, I think you still have to win up front in Super Rugby, despite the fact that it's looser, defence is looser, but it starts up front. Waratahs and the Drua followed that uh, Moana Chiefs game. And um, while it was a small crowd there, you know when the Fijians are in the house, don't you? Because they, they bring something special. Uh, we've seen it on the seventh circuit for years. We've seen it at the odd World Cup game. Uh, they played here in Australia against the Wallabies a couple of times over the year, the last couple of decades and um it is a special atmosphere but there was something new on friday sorry saturday night where with every tackle in that first half they were just giving it the big every time and it uh really added something on and i'm talking from on television mate tell tell us tell us what it was like being there with with that happening in the stadium well, it was it was at Morgan Terranui that was in commentary talking about it hey and Sean Maloney i think but you're right it was it was peculiar because the last five, six minutes, but we had just seen the Waratahs get smashed. You know, Lockie Swinton, who's a bit of a brute of a man, who's still finding his feet back in Super Rugby after missing the vast majority of last year, just getting pummeled backwards. And he wasn't the only one. We saw guys like Dave Parecki, uh, Max Jorgensen out wide, got smashed. And fair play to the the young man, got up pretty, pretty quickly. But that was a supremely good first 45 minutes from the yep. Fijians. And you just wonder what it's going to be like for visiting sides up in Fiji. And the Crusaders are the, the first side that's going to experience it. 
hopefully the Drua from a physical forward pack perspective can get everyone up there because they've got some challenges with head um, head injury assessments going on at the moment and uh, missing one or two guys up front. But they were super impressive and, and it's the flavour that they're giving. The fans are, like you said it perfectly then, the Sevens fans are the best in the world and you, you hear it every time that they play in the World Series. But the fact that they're now in Super Rugby has given the competition just such a boost, I think, because finally the crowds are coming alive and it's, it's really pleasing to hear. Yeah, Ben Donaldson also wore a, a massive uh, shot oh, to the... Yeah. Uh, to the ribs after passing uh, the ball, probably just in time. I think you wouldn't want to slow it down too much more. There might have been a few questions raised, but you're right. It was um, it was brilliant stuff. There was probably nine or ten genuine, you know, bone rattlers among them. And um, at uh, I think it was seventeen all at, at the break, wasn't it? Um, it was. Oh, uh, I think it was ten all, and then Fiji sorry. went ahead early in the second half. And and you thought there's a chance of boil over here, but. The thing about the Waratahs at the moment, and, and probably more to do with the Drua, is the depth. Do they have the depth to be able to keep up with sides? And the Waratahs went with the 6-2 split once again, and we saw the likes of Tolu Latu, Charlie Gamble had a great impact, Will Harris had a great impact, and some of the guys like Tom Lambert did really well in his debut start. Um, and and once again, I, I think we saw the back line just start to figure things out because after having a pretty uh, disrupted kind of trial period where guys like Izzy Parisi didn't even get on the field uh, for a minute there, they're starting to find their feet a bit. The combination started to work, but they're always going to work a little bit more when you're up against 13 guys, like which what, what happened with the drawer towards the back end after a bit of a schmozzle there with the replacement hooker being shown a yellow and they couldn't feel to scrum and they had to go down a person. You've got, uh, the, the playmaker come, jumping in Caleb Munz, in the front yeah. row. Yeah. yeah, fair play to him. I, I really appreciated what he was saying when it was don't push, don't push, guys. It was it was comical. One name we haven't mentioned there for the Waratahs, he was, uh, I don't know if he was named man of the match in the end, but certainly had a massive impact on the contest. Uh, and his red headgear was Lange Gleeson. Um, obviously set the tone early with that massive hit coming out of the line, which, you know, carries a bit of risk, but he absolutely got that spot on. Um, that was a really good defensive shot. And then well, I think we've known about his ball carrying ability probably uh, since he, you know, kind of got those couple of starts towards the back end of last year, slipped that offload, which led to the Jake Gordon try against the Brumbies last week as well. Um, but um he looks like a player again at just one of these younger guys at, at 21 um, who's going to be set for a, for a big future. And it really adds another dimension to this, this question at, at number eight and this back row makeup. What will we see now under Eddie Jones thinking that Stephen Larkham is stuck with, um, well, I certainly can't remember how McKellar had it last year, whether it was Valentini at, eight and Samu at six or I think it was predominantly Valentini at six, Samu at eight. So so sticking there. So, you know, just how Eddie's going to see that, that situation moving forward. We know Harry Wilson's been reinvigorated. He had a a pretty good game on the Sunday as well, which we'll come to um, despite a yellow card, but um, this is a candidates, a number of candidates emerging in now in a position that for so long between virtually Todd Ikefu and, um, Oh well, this oh, is why Cliff Harley there for a, Cl- a while. Cliffy, but, but no one never... really pushing each other, right? There was there was, you know, Cliffy and then Elsom was kind of between six and eight. And then I guess we moved on to the Pocock 
Hooper experiment there where Poe was number eight and that turned into Nicerani and Poe went to six. And there's, I, I mean, you're not going to compare anyone to, to Todd I at this point, which Andrew Mertens did, but I will say there is something similar in the way they carry. I think there's, if you, you line them up at the same, they kind of, there's a bit of hip movement there. I, there's, there's something that I, I can draw a comparison there that in the way they carry the ball, there's, um, both uh, yeah, Lungy and uh, and Todd, I, I think there's something to to certainly see there. Let, let me ask you this question: When we're talking about the back row configuration and the and the selection headache that Eddie Jones is going to have at some point in time, probably skipping a, a step or two ahead, but it was fascinating to see the photo that a, a random punter has taken of Eddie Jones's notes, and and I don't. I, you know, it's a training camp, lots can change, but it was interesting to see Valentini penciled down at six and we saw Gleason at eight. Now, does that give an indicator of the fact that he might go two ball running options there? Because we saw it only once or twice underneath Dave Rennie where, and I think of the third test in Sydney last year where uh, Wilson hardly ever played at six, was picked there and, and, and Rob Valentini was still at the back of the scrum you know, we, we saw in that 99 side, um, Owen Finnegan, Todd Ikefu, those two kind of guys start to combine. I think Finnegan came off the bench in the World Cup final. But I, 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 there's no reason why those two couldn't play in the starting side together. And when, whether or not it's Wilson or Gleason or uh, any one of those two of the three, I think it would give the Wallabies a lot of punch uh, in, in the back row ball running capacity, uh, particularly when you don't have big, big ball running locks like an even Etzebeth or, or a Brody Retallick. If you can find that in the back row, then it's, it's a fascinating to see what way he goes. Do you think he could potentially play the two in, in the same back row and move away from a taller Rob Liotta-like figure? Well, that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? You've got then Jed Holloway, which is more of that lock six blend as well, which, you know, perhaps then becomes such a great option on the bench. Um, you know, you want to get your line out right, don't you? So um, I think you want at least three jumpers and having that fourth jumper ability really just provides, you know, that little bit of flexibility there. Of course, you've got to have a hooker who can routinely hit those targets, which, you know, we're already seeing is proving slightly challenging for the Aussie side so far. Um but yeah, look, I I think if if Rob Valentini is playing six for the Brumbies there, then it's best that probably Eddie leaves him there for the Wallabies as well. And and I think you know probably getting uh, Lockie McCaffrey, who's going to come and, and deputise for me in a few weeks while I'm away, have him talk around the the little nuances be- between being a, a ball carrier at six and a ball carrier at eight to really kind of convey how that changes. And um, you know I. I Pete Samu, again, has been such a great bench option for the Wallabies. I think he had a, a pretty good start um, when he filled in in Auckland last year from memory as well. He was probably about one of the best on ground. So there's a there's another player there that it's it's finding the balance, isn't it? Uh, how, how does Eddie want to play um, and where does that fit in with, the, with his playmakers? Does he want to be crashing guys off um, perhaps a smaller 10 um, in midfield? Um, they're they're going to use Valentini like the Brumbies do in, in off the top ball or from line outs and, and hit him up in midfield and then have, that's when you need that second ball carrier, you know, coming off the back of that momentum. Is it 
isn't it again? Um, which, as you say, that probably lacks in in the locking department. So, yeah, look, I, I mean, the best thing is, is as as we've just dropped a number of names there, that um, if everyone's fitting on the field, that it is a uh, a far better position to be in than say Czech had back in in 2019. Yeah, and I think we can appreciate the fact that in 2019, I think the the game it hadn't necessarily moved away from a, a, a double fetcher. And I don't know if it still has. I think there's every chance that, that Eddie might do that because in, in 19, he played Tom Curry and he played Sam Underhill and the two guys, the kamikaze kids they became known as, did a, did an unbelievable job. Do we have the, the, the same physical guys, the same physical presence to get away with that when you you know they had like a... Courtney Laws or George Cruz, these line-out professionals that were brilliant guys there. Do we have those figures in Australia? I'm not sure. But w- what we're seeing as well is we haven't even mentioned their Fraser McWright and Charlie Gamble. Uh, those guys will certainly come into the consideration because McWright's playing brilliantly at the moment. His combination with Harry Wilson is out of this world too. They, The longer those two guys continue to play together with a, uh, with a Tate McDermott, just makes them look so, so dangerous. Um, a, a shout out to Rory Scott, the, the Brumby Seven, yep. who did an unbelievable job on Sunday afternoon in which were really tough, hot conditions. But I think the physicality and the explosiveness, the dynamism, dynamism is going to be so important because we see that that's what the Kiwis do brilliantly. The Brumbies managed to match that on Sunday. The Reds played with that at times against the Force with McWright and Wilson. Who can continue to do that, take charge, turn games? They're the sorts of guys that I think will, uh, you know, they won't just be in the consideration. They will demand selection. Yeah, Rory Scott, uh, you're right for the Brumbies good on on Sunday and a, and a perfect little segue uh, into their game with the Blues. We thought it was going to be the game of the round at it didn't disappoint, perhaps not with the uh, the amount of free-flowing attacking rugby that we thought, but as Nick White said in a post-match, uh, you were there. Um, it had that test match intensity to it. I think it was, what was it, about 30 degrees out there in the middle of Amy Park at the oh, time. Minimum. It was it was very warm. Um, but the Brumbies, the thing that stood out for me was the same way that, the way that they put the squeeze on the Waratahs the week earlier. They did that to the Blues their breakdown work was superb again when you've got, you know, a, a rookie prop like Van Neck coming off the bench. And I think by the time the second half was up, he had certainly two and maybe three turnovers at vital stages. Sure, the handling from both sides was was probably a little bit um, subpar. Um, we think about Rico Ioani butchering that try down the left, not the first time he's done that against an Australian are you, team. Are you surprised? Are you surprised it was Rico Ioani? Not not at all. Um, hello to Rico. Uh yeah, look, it's, this is a big win for the Brumbies, wasn't it? When you think of it in the context of their season, A, not having to go to Auckland for this game. So it is virtually an away win. Um, it's a psychological victory over the team that um, knocked them off twice last year. And and really, you know, they were only under pressure for a couple of moments of that match. Uh, they starved them of continuity, which is what the Blues thrive on. They tempted fate, I thought, a couple of times on on turnover ball for, for some probably loose, aimless kicking. But on the whole, I thought the defense held up really well um, and that they, you know, they they haven't clearly missed a beat at all moving in this transition from Dan McKellar to, to Stephen Larkham. Again, uh, you know, you'd have to say that the starting Lonigan and Debrasini and bringing White and Lola C off the bench worked 
well, just having that little bit of extra class to, to finish the game and, and round out this constant contest rather was key. Um, so a massive result for the Brumbies. Yeah, yeah. And you can almost go through every player and go, wow, they did their job. Yep. And that's probably, if you're the coach, that's probably the most pleasing aspect. Or if you're the captain of the side, when you look each other in the eye beforehand and demand excellence, wow, they, they all fronted up. And I think even guys like Andy Muirhead, under, like he's not got really any raps. And I'm not sure if he's an international player, but he's playing brilliantly at the moment. He's doing all the well, here's a question for you, Christy. Uh, we think about Suliasi Venavalo, who was played later and will come to, but do you see him tracking back to make to put the pressure on Yuani to at least let him know? I don't think if Yuani had passed that ball then to the unmarked Roger Tuivasa-Shek that Muirhead would have been able to knock that down. But I don't think uh, Suliasi Venavalo is tracking back like that to put the pressure on, to at least be in the frame to put that thought in Rico's mind, um, which Andy Muirhead did then. You're probably right. You're probably, yeah, I, I don't think he is either. Is he, is Sully, uh, you know, you got to remember that was his first game He's uh, in a little while. Like he played a few minutes uh, in a trial match. Um, Muirhead's a good player and he's been in the Wallaby squad before and yep. a wider squad. Fair play to the man. Hopefully he gets an opportunity because he's a guy like, like you, he might not have the freakish ability of a James Lowe, but he's got that, or the, or a Mark Hanson, but he's the sort of guy that does just continually make the right decision more often than not. So, um, fair play to him. I think Bunavalu's ceiling still remains really, really high. Uh, he had an encouraging second half. Maybe we can talk about that later on. Uh, he's he is an enigma. I, I, he, he didn't really look like he was striding out massively when he made that intercept. And I was speaking to Drew Mitchell on the flight home yesterday evening, and he described Bunabalu's running almost as Ian Thorpe's swimming stroke, where you almost feel like he's got a bit more in him, and, and, but it's seamless. And he still managed to show some gas despite the fact that he's got all these hamstring injuries and everything else. It looks like he's still probably holding back 5%, but he'll, I think he. the longer he stays out in the field, the more he'll continue to show. Going back, circling back to the Brumbies, um, Dan Palmer deserves a shout-out, doesn't he? Like, that scrum is just doing wonders. And Shop and Van, uh, Van Neck, he was outstanding. And, and the presence that he provided on the ball, but... The, Brumby's scrum just smashed the Blues. And that was probably the reason why they got across the line was the, the set-piece dominance they had in that area. Um, but right from 1 to 15, Tom Wright had one bad moment, uh, probably two bad moments, carried into contact when he probably shouldn't have, should have probably kicked when he when he tried to, to skin a pretty resolute Blues front line. Uh, and he also got skinned by Tom Robertson on the outside uh, who had burnt Caden yep. Neville and, and James Slipper. But apart from those kind of smaller moments, outstanding, um, Nick White, Noah Lolaseo showed that game smarts, I thought, in that second half playing territory, um, even though things weren't necessarily sticking. But Lenny Tower deserves an, another shout out as well. He, The fact that he managed to apply as much pressure defensively keep things calm on the outside because there were so many times in that second half particularly where the blues looked like they were going to get on the outside and, and and they didn't so uh 
full marks. And we're looking forward now to this Reds Brumbies contest, which should be a cracker in, in Canberra this weekend. Yeah, Tom Wright, uh, just before we wrap there, I, I think the, the one concern at this point with him at fullback is, as you say, it's that little bit of indecisiveness as he's bringing the ball back. I think you'd probably like him to not, you know, go against his instincts and, and back himself to beat players on occasion. But when it is that full front line, as it was a couple of times on Saturday, that right, this one's probably better going up in the air. Um, he got turned over once there, um, as you said, um, bringing the ball and, and just trying to, you know, do a bit of fancy footwork at the line. Clearly, when the space wasn't on offer, um, if he's perhaps just a little bit more decisive. Uh, in those decisions moving forward that um, he could well be the solution there for the Wallabies it's, this this year. It's, it's important to note, though, that he, he's hardly played at fullback. He's played probably more matches for the Wallabies at fullback than he has at the Brumbies. I think this is only... Oh, he played two or three games last, last year. year with yep. Tom Banks not being there, but he'll continue to develop that understanding, I think, in time. It's still been an impressive start from Tom Wright. Reds Force wrapped it up. Um, I guess a, a complete um, whitewash to finish the weekend. Probably not ideal uh, from the, the neutrals perspective, but um, the Reds bounced back after a poor showing against the Hurricanes in Townsville last week while the Force went the other way. And I, I guess probably um, A, not helped by their discipline. There was a couple of comical moments in there, uh, mainly uh, Tim Anstey running into Michael Wells there. Um, which is uh, if there was a sporting blooper reel, um, it would be uh, the first um, piece off the top. Um, you couldn't help but laugh at that, and also uh, feel a little bit for for Simon Cron. Look, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a fifty-one point defeat or whatever it was, seventy-one twenty, I think. Um, it's not a good look for the force, particularly after they had performed so well first up. Um, but uh, yeah. I feel that there are going to be growing pains, aren't there, with with Simon Cron with this team. Um, I still don't know that the Bryce Hegarty is the answer at ten. I think there was might have been some commentary from Tim Horan post match potentially suggesting that it's time to see Hamish Stewart given a run there. Um, you know uh, they've got, they've got a good honest pack of forwards, but clearly missing what Isaac Rodder would add to the mix there. Um, yeah, it's not, you know, you don't want to come down too hard on them because we saw, you know, how, how the Rebels bounce back and how the Rebels, sorry, the Reds bounce back as well after, you know, pretty um, limp round one defeats that um, they they have got that in them, but it's it's still going to be a struggle for Simon Cron, I think. Yeah, I think the other thing with that is the Rebels were abysmal in that second half in Perth a week earlier, and it probably camouflaged a little bit of where the force are at because they'd had a couple of poor trials. Yeah, I, I asked Simon Cron yesterday. Like, I think I think he he took Hamish Stewart off pretty early. Uh, decided to move Bailey Quinsville closer to the action. George Pullman, a youngster coming in at thirteen. I didn't think that was the right move. You know, Hamish Stewart's a renowned defensive twelve. Yep. Um, pretty good on the ball as well. Uh, you're missing leadership. You're missing uh, guys with experience. He's one that I would have kept out there longer. But the bounce of the ball probably didn't go their way. And we saw that early on with off the kick, kick off, um, the restart rather after Ryan Smith crashed over a long raking Geordie Bataille kick, a terrible bounce. And the, the Reds managed to go coast to coast in a matter of seconds. It was comical. It was probably, the, I think, the most comical for the lot. You know, we know that the spider cam got hit later on in the game too. But, but, 
You're right. I think they need to stick in there. I mean, just need to be on because Simon Cron said that they're 10% off, and that's probably right, but you only need to be 5%, 10% off from where you need to be, and you will get beaten comprehensively. And we've seen that a week earlier with the Highlanders getting smashed by the Blues too. So you can't take away the fact that the Reds have got a very, very good-looking back, uh, back line, and there's Wallabies there, and then you've got a young Tom Liner who – that was an outstanding performance from a young Tan playing second match. He did all the basics really well. And that's what has been pleasing about both him and Max Jorgensen. Two games for both of them. And they've hardly put a foot wrong. And they're not overplaying their hands. They don't look flustered. But it's a bit of a selection headache now going into this Brumbies match because James O'Connor looks really sharp coming off the bench. Uh, I wouldn't mind him coming off the bench again. Uh, we'll see what way that selection goes but either way it's now a bit of a headache to determine you know is JOC going to be behind Tom Liner does a Tom Liner who's 19 and need to have a few extra minutes on the bench given that young players typically don't always manage to kick on with it because they're not used to being at that level for week in week out so there are a couple of decisions that they'll have to make but I'm excited for that for that match next week. Yeah, yep, Saturday night uh, in Canberra, I think, yes. I believe so, yeah. Yes. Um, yes, get along uh, to that one, Brumbies fans, if you're, uh, if you're about and free. Uh, all right, mate, you mentioned it earlier. Um, Eddie Jones, uh, Eddie Everywhere, uh, was on Offsiders on ABC uh, with um, Kelly Underwood uh, and Georgie Robinson from the Herald uh, on Sunday morning down there in Melbourne, uh, then got out to... Um, Amy Park uh, and set up camp again. We, I think it was on the Saturday night where a Drua fan had sidled up to him and looked like he was having the yarns. Um, apparently, I think I saw yesterday that actually uh, he'd been at a coaching course that, that Eddie had been on conducting down there during the week. Um, but then yesterday afternoon, Eddie's got his, his notes or his notepad at least out in, in full view and some eagle-eyed punter or sneaky punter, however you want to Look at him as uh, has gone all paparazzi and, and snapped a shot of it from behind and quickly put it onto social media where I think it was for maybe an hour or two before someone suggested that it probably wasn't the the best thing to to have out there. Um, so yeah, but, uh, you know, a, a good chuckle, um, but clearly some names there uh, that we've we've already mentioned today: Jorgensen, uh, Liner, uh, Gleason, Nonganidawasi. Um, you know, if you do enough digging around people, if you haven't seen the various stories on this um, or um, the list itself at the time, the, the list and a half that we could see of the, what was the, the April camp draft one um, edition. Um, but I mean, number one, absolutely see why he was there. Cause what better opportunity are you going to get to see all Australian franchises in the one city on the one weekend um, in the flesh, get around and talk to a few players as well, if you need to. Um, but, um, yeah, a funny, but B, you know, uh, clearly some names that we thought perhaps, um, might not have been there this early on are in fact, uh, there right at the forefront of his thinking. Yeah. And you can't say it's just scribble, which is what he tried to claim it was. Uh, some people will say, oh, look, it's week two of super rugby and, there's going to be a thousand teams selected and it might've just been the team that he selected for this weekend. But the cold hard facts is this draft one April camp and you can't hide behind that. In addition, they're not just made up names. 
it, it, there's names that he's selected there and it, and it goes to some way in saying how might Eddie Jones pick his side or assemble his side. And we already touched on it with the back row considerations with the Lange Cleason at eight and Rob Valentini at six. That is a, a supremely different picture if you're going human eight and you're potentially going a, a it might be a, a Swinton at six or a Holloway at six or um, some people have even thrown out Nick Frost at times at six. We saw Nick Frost in the second side, funnily enough. Um, uh, Darcy Swain, who's come off the bench, uh, along with Nick White and and Noah Lolasio. Those guys were in that first side. So it was interesting. The other thing that was fascinating of it was Ben Donaldson was put in the, the number 10 position alongside Liner in the, in the second side. So does Eddie Jones see Ben Donaldson more of a 10? quite possibly. Um, but we also heard him earlier in the day speak about on, on, on the offsiders program, kind of slightly uh, walk back his comments around Quade Cooper, but he, he did seem to signal Quade Cooper out by saying, we'll, we'll see what he can do for us at the World Cup. He then later on said, you know, Quade Cooper could be, one of those tens and then proceeded to say, but the other two are wide open. He said, you need three tens there bloated the possibilities of potentially co-captains at the very least a wider leadership group. Because as we all know, there was three captains for the Wallabies last year with Michael Hooper, James Slipper and Alan, Alan, Alan Latoa. So um, there was a lot of ground covered, including Rory Arnold. And he basically said, look, Rory, if he wants to play for the Wallabies, probably has to pick up the phone, firstly. But secondly, he's got to play some footy. And with the suspension of his Japanese side, looks like he doesn't want to come back and potentially play as a medical joker or play on a short-term deal with an Australian team. I think he, if he wanted to, he could get out of that because it's clearly putting his World Cup chances uh, in jeopardy by the fact that he can't get any game time with his Japanese side. Yes, he's sitting on a, a pretty sweet million dollar deal million plus dollar deal in japan but if he wants to play at that world cup he could easily pick up the phone play five half a dozen games for an australian super side i don't think he does we've probably seen that eddie jones pointed it out on offsiders yesterday yep. by saying he didn't play in last year's spring tour that probably came down to his decision and we saw that a year earlier with karevi korobetti and quade cooper withdrawing uh, and deciding not to go on. So there was plenty to uh, to read into uh, a very busy Sunday for Eddie Jones. Okay. Well, mate, I guess give us then potentially your your Wallabies riser and a, and a slider from from the weekend from your pitch side efforts at uh, at Amy Park. Well, I'll throw it back to you in a moment. Why don't we both go a, a, a riser because I haven't thought of a, someone's stocks going down just yet, but... Look, I think Max Jorgensen, the fact that he managed to uh, sustain the contact against the Fijians, uh, looks so calm, didn't seem flustered, didn't seem overawed. That would have been the most physical match that he's played. He got clobbered, got straight up, scores a try. Yes, it was a simple one, but players that when their heart rate is high and they're struggling physically, potentially emotionally, they make mistakes. We didn't see that from Max Jorgensen on the weekend. He's the guy that I think is doing everything he possibly can at the moment. Whether or not he's in a, a Wallaby side later on in the year, I'm not sure. 
that he at the very least is giving himself uh, every opportunity to be firmly in Eddie Jones's plans. He's the guy that I'd say stocks are rising. What about you, Brucey? Uh, well, you, you got to remember, and uh, people, if you have forgotten this, that um, I think Richard Hardwick has committed himself to Namibia going forward. So Rebels fans, if you're listening, you wonder why perhaps we didn't talk a little bit more about him. It's because uh, he's made that call. Uh, he certainly would have been in the running for that. I thought he was fantastic on, on Friday night. But um, Josh Fluke, who I, I really like it at outside centre. I, I think he's still probably well down the, the pecking order, clearly behind Igatau and and uh, and Parisi and maybe one or two others. But um, he's had his injury worries. I think he's more of an outside centre than he is a winger for me. Uh, I like his defence in in that channel. And I, I thought he had a pretty good game there for against the force yesterday afternoon. So, um, it's, yeah. It's a good shout because he's such a balanced runner. He's such mm. a balanced runner. And I, I, I'm a huge fan of him. I remember about a year ago, I put it on Twitter. I said, oh, look, Josh Fluke, he is a wallaby in waiting. And then I had a couple of people fire back going, well, what about Lenny Kittow? And there's no issues with Lenny Kittow. It's just no, saying that no. Josh Fluke is a very, very good player. And it's great to have guys that are going to be competing for jerseys, positions, roles, because they're different outside centres. And, and Fluke was the Australian schoolboys captain when they toppled New Zealand in 2019, when Pete Hewitt was the coach. He's a guy that Dave Rennie had definitely thought about had spoken to a couple of times on the phone. So yeah, the question is, is he big enough? Um, do you need that? I think you need a damaging 12 for yep. him to be there just because he's not. Many, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw he struggled really when Hamish Stewart was inside him for the Reds last year when Hunter was missing. So those sorts of things you start to consider anyone's stocks falling. It's, it's really difficult to kind of stay at the moment because it's only two games in, but I think Dave Parecki will, feel the heat he's he was put in that side for for um the draft um by eddie jones at, at two look Parecki will be in the mix and he will remain in the mix because he's solid he's really solid he generally does the fundamentals really really well uh, he's had a slow start which is a, a number of players have because they've just come back from a long international season didn't play trial matches was off the pace against the brumbies I just I liked what Tolly Latu provided on the weekend as well off the bench. He will start to feel some of the heat, but once again, not a bad position to be in to have guys that are competing for competition places, not just at an international perspective where you don't really want to be learning, but at a super rugby perspective to get that challenge on a weekly basis can only be a good thing for both him and Tolu, I think. Yeah, the hooker is going to be an interesting one, isn't it? I, I, I am pondering... Palau following his decision to to move to the force, how that might affect his chances this year. Uh, we know there haven't been too many players coming out of that force team for for Wallaby selections, uh, certainly in the Dave Rennie years. And um, yeah, if they start to slide, uh, hopefully they won't and they can bounce back from the weekend's effort. But um, he could be a victim of that that team over there. Uh, mate, all right. I think um, is that... Uh, actually, I, I guess let, let's finish up then on... On Super Round, um, is it worth persisting with? Um, I think we'd probably both agree that in, in Melbourne, it's it's run its course. The COVID was an excuse last year, clearly. Um, this year, I don't think you can use that whatsoever. Um, you know, they claim to be the sporting capital of the world. I don't think that that is the case. Certainly, 
uh, on this for this event. Um, interested reading uh, one of your colleagues, Jeff Parks, on the Raw today, saying there still seems to be a bit of a disconnect between the organisers, TEG Live, and the wider Victorian community. Did you see much marketing down there? Um, I mean, were they the the old street sign flags that you see for for big events, whether they be for sporting events or concerts or musicals or whatever? Were there were there any of those around? Um, yeah, just just take us outside, I guess, the stadium if you could while you were down there. It's difficult when you're working because there were various things happening outside, but not a huge amount. But you're you're going from watching the game pretty closely to a press conference and then having not that long in between. And it made it difficult to kind of file quickly and swiftly and, and be right on top of things. But the, I caught up with a former colleague, Natalie Unides, on Sunday morning. We had breakfast together and she told me that when Eddie Jones was appointed, Dave Rennie sacked, it didn't even make the the seven of uh, the six o'clock bulletin down there for uh, for Channel Seven. Like this is ridiculous. It's it's a as Eddie Jones quite rightly said, it's an iconic side, the national team, and they didn't even get Eddie Jones's news in, in, in the six o'clock news. It's an AFL town, and it continues to get bigger and better, and and it's all encompassing. So I just don't think it can work in Melbourne because it doesn't have, it doesn't dedicate space in any of the newspapers. People don't know it unless you're a hardcore rugby fan. And we saw the Pacific population did come out and we saw quite a few New Zealand jerseys, but very few people are coming from interstate across Australia. And I think if you're in an AFL state, and city like Melbourne is, I just don't think it's going to work. It's different to a Wallabies match as well when it's Bledisloe. Um, I'll come back to what I said before. I think it's got to be either Brisbane, Sydney or Auckland. I think they're the three options and I'd probably go Brisbane or or Auckland. I think Auckland um, this time of the year can be great. Uh, Brisbane might be too hot at this moment in, in early March. That's probably the one thing we saw some of the quality drop off at stages. We saw huge amounts of cramp from Tate McDermott and Vunabalu when he, of course, grabbed his, or he pulled up a bit lame with 10, 15 to go. So, yeah, I, I think, thanks, Melbourne. Um, we need to see more from, from Rugby Australia, probably New Zealand Rugby too. It's almost like they take their hands off it. Like, oh, well, it's not our event, so why do we need to do anything? Um, there needs to be a more encompassing uh approach by everyone and and that's one of the issues that we've found in super rugby is it's is you know it's is it a state issue is it a national issue whose issue is it for it? well we need everyone stepping up to the plate yeah the big thing is remember that it goes to the highest bidder so whoever which is state government is prepared to to tip in the money to bring this event um and and the way it works for them is they see it as an opportunity to drive local economic benefit by bringing tourism uh, into uh, into the city. Um, so is it going to be, is the Queensland government going to want to stump up the cash on the top of doing it for Magic Ground and the NRL? Um, uh, Sydney, I, I think they're pretty keen to retain the sevens. Um, do they see the value in another rugby event on top of that as well in terms of their their destination, New South Wales marketing and um, I guess uh, events budget? Um, I'm not sure how it quite works in New Zealand, whether it would be that money would have to come from um, the Auckland City Council or wider Auckland area, or same with Wellington. Wellington, I, I think, could be a winning destination purely because of the, the how the Sevens was um, attended there many years ago before they had some issues with, I think, with the alcohol bans and people gathering mm. outside and then they weren't allowed to do that anymore. So they stopped 
turning up to the actual sevens itself. Um, because I think on the whole, we can see that it is a, a winning concept. But clearly, it needs Australian teams to be fronting up against New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand rivals, as was the case on the weekend in the two matches. They were split one apiece and, and both could have gone either way. Um, so there is merit in the concept. It is just about finding a, a better host than than Melbourne has been now. Um, you know, they, they certainly haven't come out uh, and said that that's it. Um, we're we're going to put this one on on the back burner for the next few years. But um, yeah, there's opportunity there. They've just got to get it right. Yeah, and the other consideration is Melbourne and Amy Park has great facilities for players to warm up, for teams to warm up. They can train where the Rebels train. Uh, and you see that Brisbane, I don't think, has that same capacity. It's just the big stadium there. Sydney would have that if it was at the Sydney Football Stadium with the Kipax Oval and there's yeah. an AFL Oval that they could train at too. So there's more freedom there. You could do it at Eden Park with the smaller uh, oval right next to it. So there's some of the things that you might not necessarily think about instantly, but uh, they're very, very important for things to run swiftly and not have big breaks between the two because that was a that was one of the benefits. You know, there was only half an hour break between the two games and you want to keep those games going because they're long, process, like, you know, two hours for a game. Uh, it's a long time to kind of sit still and be engaged the whole time. Yeah, tough on journos, but uh, a real positive for the fans. Uh, so, mate, uh, well done. This weekend, uh, it was uh, plenty to, to cover as we've just been through, um, highlighted by by Artie's uh, effort on, on Friday night, which we'll hear more about on the coming days. Uh, mate, thanks very much for your time. Uh, go and uh, get an Aperol spritz or something into you. It's uh, it's pretty warm here in Sydney today and you, you've probably earned one. I'm not sure if I'd, the boss is going to allow that just yet, but you're right, that would be perfect. It is warm, it is hot, it's sweaty, and I can kind of felt at various times throughout this, just the sweat kind of, the perspiration dripping down, but... Enough of that. Good chat. Um, jump. Anyone's got questions? Shout out, please. You actually had a shout out on Friday afternoon. Uh, one bloke who I think went to school with your brother, perhaps, um, called me over when he was sitting next to me. I think he was reasonably well lubricated at that point in time after quite a few drinks. Went to a lunch where Eddie Jones was speaking with the Victoria Rugby uh, that put on a, a lunch alongside the classic Wallabies. That was enjoyable, and uh, I think they're having a couple of more lunches throughout the year. So get around at the Victorian community. It was good fun and great to have Eddie Jones as the special guest there, sitting alongside Brett Hodgson. So the two of them are joined by the hip at the moment, uh, and good to see. So long that may that continue. Absolutely. Hit us up, uh, anything you'd like us to cover. Of course, get on uh, Spotify, Apple, give us the five-star rating, and, uh, yeah, we'll be back in. Seven days time to wrap up uh, hopefully another enthralling round three of Super Rugby and everything else happening in this corner of the world. Thanks, guys. Talk to you then.